Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The TSA is putting in overtime in Major League Baseball to keep its pitchers in line before, during, and after the games. Stuff is happening in college football that has pissed off the NCAA because, for once, people have disagreed with their stupidity, and the NBA playoffs remain exciting and especially exciting for new audiences because, like it or not, for the social media and television viewership pundits who think that the only thing that matters in these playoffs and eventual NBA finals is the ratings. It's going to be a tough go when the NBA finals are set and the champion will be crowned for either the first time in franchise history and oh yes, the first time in franchise history, a couple teams have made the finals but nobody's really winning them anymore. It's been a long time for some of these franchises and a first for some of them as well. So if you're in for some excitement for everybody that complained that there was too much golden state, too much LeBron James, your dreams have been fulfilled because the Clippers, the Suns, the Hawks, or the Bucks will be the NBA champion in 2021. Just like we all predicted before the season started. The most recent of that four-pack, a half century ago, for the championship. The Milwaukee Bucks behind the great Noel Sindor, eventually Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 1971, sweep the Baltimore Bullets, led by Earl the Pearl Monroe. Folks, look him up, Black Jesus. Uh, he would be a worldwide celebrity today. He was that great. He was a legend. Led the Bullets to a seven-game upset of the defending champion New York Knicks in the Eastern Finals. And then the Bucs led by the stunning, dominant, eventual all-time great Luel Sender slash Kareem Abdul-Jabbar destroyed the Bullets in four. Uh, that was Oscar Roberts' first and only championship. That was 50 years ago. And now the Bucs, after a tremendous series in which it looked like they frittered it away in, in Game 5 in Jersey behind the incredible effort of Kevin Durant, they go home, they win Game 6, and then they win a classic Game 7. A classic Game 7, Durant puts up another 48, it goes to overtime, they take a two-point lead, basically never score again, and Giannis ties it with a little jump hook in the lane with to go. They take the lead. They keep it. Durant airballs a 
jump shot from long range at the gun, or I should say just outside the gun, three-tenths of a second to go. And the Bucks roll on. They get through a conference final. They take on the Hawks, who stun the Sixers. And the Hawks do what they've been doing this entire playoff. They keep continuing to surprise. They go into Milwaukee, rally from an eight-point deficit down the stretch, and win game one by 48 points from Trey Young, uh, who is becoming a playoff legend in his first playoff appearance of his young NBA life. And out West, the Clippers and the Suns, Clippers trying to get their first NBA final. Suns trying to get to, I believe, memory serves me correct, their third. One, two, I believe their third. One, two, three. I think it's third. Um, Chris Paul trying to get to his first. So fresh faces in terms of the teams, a lot of cagey veterans, a lot of guys who've been around, but a lot of fresh blood, a lot of excitement uh, with teams that drafted well, like the Suns and like the Hawks, who are in the hunt to go to the NBA championship. People are already clamoring for that because they want to see Trey Young and plenty of them. And obviously they want to see Devin Booker and uh, the old crotchety folks like me, but not like me want to see Chris Paul get to a final. I couldn't care less, but no LeBron, no Celtics, no Sixers stunned at home in game seven by the Hawks. No Nets with KD. Durant, and obviously the seldom seen Kerry Irving. So for those, as you said, new fans, for those who are part of the new report, this is your NBA Conference Finals. It's been interesting because if you were to propose this at the beginning of the season, people might say it could be something similar to what we have in the past run into in the NCAA tournament, where that high seed has the upsets happen, makes a big run in the tournament, and then we get to the final four, and that team usually gets blown off the court, and you kind of get the feeling of, well, it's a nice story, the Cinderella run, until it gets to the Elite Eight and those later games, that's when you selfishly kind of want to see the best teams play. And sometimes these outliers come in and usually get made their match, aside from, of course, Butler, where it almost went in. It almost went in, to quote Jim Nance, with one of the worst ending national championship calls in sports history. But I digress. If you want to check that out on YouTube, kids, 2010, Duke Butler. It almost went in. Anyway, Hello, friends. Nothing unusual for Jim Nance to do a hideous non-golf call. Who are you going to give your tie to after the game, Jim? That's a big deal to give a college player your tie because of what it means to you, et cetera, et cetera. Moving on from Jim, this is that type of situation where it's the upset teams, at least in two of the holes, three if you think about it. The Bucks were a team that a lot of people thought would get to this point. 
The Hawks were a complete surprise. The Clippers, because of their history, would surprise some people. And the Suns being a young team might have been that as well, especially with the injury you wouldn't have expected at the beginning of the season to happen to the Denver Nuggets, losing their second best player and and having to play with what they had and get swept. But the Sixers loss in game seven had to be the biggest shock. Well, game five, game five, blowing a 26 point lead at home. Yes. The the whole, (laughs) is the whole end of the series. Unfathomable. But then they go and win game six on the road. You think, okay. And I picked the Sixers. Yep. As you know, which of course is the KOD. I thought they would go home and take care of business. And uh, instead they went home and stayed home because without a doubt, the most stunning result of the playoffs. I never thought the Hawks would win that series. To their credit, they played harder. They played better. They played more consistent. And they were more versatile. They were able to score in more ways from more places on the court than the Sixers. It's as simple as that. The Sixers basically had three guys who scored points for them. They're all world center who don't like to do it from inside, but did a good amount of damage in there, but it must have flown shooting the three. Uh, the remarkable baby Curry, who was tremendous, and the inconsistent Tobias Harris. The important aspect is that you got virtually nothing in this series, especially in the fourth quarter at crunch time, or the fourth quarter at all, which includes crunch time from Ben Simmons. And that's where the Sixers find themselves the dilemma, which is constantly running across the bottom line of Sports Center, all over Sports Talk Radio. What are the Sixers going to do with or about Ben Simmons, who's part of the process, along with Embiid, making a ton of money, all first-team defense, most would argue should have been defensive player of the year over the awful tower in Utah, but just refusing to shoot the ball. Terrible series from the foul line, well under 50%, and just refusing to turn it loose. Just won't take a jump shot. He had six more points than you and I did in seven games of the fourth quarter. Had a seven dunk. fourth quarters. Six had a points. wide open dunk, wide open lane. Said afterwards he thought the player was coming from behind, so he dished it. Ben, you're wide open. You you've you've dunked there your entire life. Just go up and finish. Just go up and finish. He's looking like a guy who was afraid to have the basketball in his hands, which is hard to believe because he's so comfortable with the ball in his hands. He's a phenomenal. When I saw him at LSU the one year, I was incredibly impressed. It's like, if this guy ever learns how to shoot, at least he shot back then. Right. He would shoot. He'd make very many, but he would shoot. So it's a question. All right. He's just got to learn how to shoot better. 
because he's such a visionary passing the ball and has the uncanny ability because of his physical stature to literally pass over the top of everybody at 6'9". You know, when he was at LSU, I said, this guy reminds me of the way Magic Johnson played in college, who wasn't much of a shooter either in college. Six foot nine point guard, grab the rebound on defense, go the length of the court, either dish for a dunk or finish with a dunk. And do it deftly, with versatility, with agility, with mobility, with hostility. And now I see a guy who just, it's like a hot potato in the fourth quarter. Get it out of my hands. It's terrible. Sad. Well, then after the game, Joel Embiid makes it known when he's asked something just along run, the just, lines just, of it. Just, just run him over. Basically saying that that pass that di- people forget that I don't know why they would. Yeah, he should have dunked it, but the pass did lead to Tobias Harris getting to the line. Now he missed one of two, so you lost a point there. And then they come down and give up a three or give up two. So the momentum had a little swing to it, but it wasn't the end of the game. Joel Embiid made it seem like that play alone was it. And then Doc Rivers, similarly, just pouring dirt right on top of the grave. So what do you think about Ben Simmons? Is he a playoff player for you? Yeah, we don't really know that right now. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. Gee, he has since recanted. He has since restated his support for his six foot nine inch point guard and that he thinks that they can win, but there's work to be done. Obviously there's work to be done. And we've heard on the one end where he doesn't want to work, which uh, we're not on the sidelines. We're not in the locker room. We're not in the gym. We're not in practice. We hear and read different things, which I said to, Brian Calabria the other day, and I said, Brian, we're just out here as, as listeners and readers and watchers, and we don't hear the same things. We hear certain sources tell us he's a great kid and he works as hard as anybody, and other people say, you know, and, and write that he didn't, he didn't work that hard. He's got no interest in shooting or improving a shot. If that's the case, well, then Ben Simmons got to have, you know, an attitude adjustment. And if an attitude adjustment isn't required, then certainly some type of mental, psychological work is required to rehabilitate his psyche where he's got confidence in himself shooting the basketball, where he basically just plays. Just play. Just turn it loose and don't worry about it. And nobody's going to give you a hard time for taking a 12-foot jump shot. Nobody's going to give you a hard time for pulling up from 15 and stroking it. Just shoot it. You can't tell me you never shot the ball when you were a kid. You can't tell me you didn't shoot the ball when you were 15 and 16 down under an Australia. Just shoot it. Just turn it loose. Turn it loose. 
And then you have to bring him Rick Barry and show him the underhand technique, then bring him Rick Barry and shoot him underhand from the foul line. Because nobody's going to care how you shoot Nobody's going to care how you shoot him if they go in. Right. Switch hands, switch something around. But you got to figure it out. And I know people are saying, well, they got to dump him. I don't think his trade stock exactly went up. Well, his trade stock couldn't be lower, but the problem you've got is what do you do in a scenario where both your coach and your star center annihilated him in the postgame? Right. Embarrassed him. Absolutely embarrassed him. What do they always say? You got you got you got your teammates back. We got issues that'll be taken care of in the locker room. Got each other's back all the time. Never dish your guys. And B couldn't get couldn't get out quick enough. And you would think in Doc's experience, I know it was a game seven, another loss came seven for Doc. But you would think with Doc's experience, before he sat down, he should have been thoughtful enough to know that question was coming. You could say, look, he's a great player, he's a great kid. He had a tough series. Our job is to get over it. That's all you need. Our job is to get through it and come back hungrier and better and work hard to achieve our goal next year. So we fell short and we all fell short. Take the fell blame. Short, I fell short. The entire team fell short. We all got to do better. Not Starting with rodeo, Taking the blame for a playoff loss, a blown playoff loss. Not the first rodeo. Let's go back got, to the book. It's got, got to start with me and funnel all the way down. Ben, Joel, every, we all got to be better. Gave up too many points, fouled too much, didn't make free throws, too many turnovers, gave up too many offensive rebounds. It's all there. It's all there. You know, we didn't lose a 26-point lead at home in game five because Ben Simmons didn't make his free throws. This was a group failure, and I'm the leader of the group, so I'm here, put it on me. That's how you handle it. Right. Instead of saying, well, I, I, I don't know how to answer that question. It's very surprising. <laughs> yes, you do, Doc. You've been there before. You got to be better there. You got to be better. And there's the cap hit, which next year is $33 million. The year after that, it goes up by two. The year after that, it goes up by two. His last year, when he's 28, it'll be at $40 million. That's what happens when you give a player the max contract, everything you want. It's the process. Years, 177. There it is. It's the pri- and Philly fans are already calling for the blow up. You got Philly fans, say, trade them, trade them all. Let them all go. Trade Embiid. He's a dog. Never gets it done down the scene. You know, when the tough gets going, he gets soft. Trade Simmons. Trade them all. Start over. Start the process over again. I don't know what to do with that. Because I also don't trust him being. I don't trust him to stay healthy. And this was another perfect example. He was great this year when he played. Self-proclaimed best player in the world. But can't stay healthy. It's always something. The back, knee, ankle, the meniscus issue. And look, he, he continued to play to his credit. And 
he, he was credible, disappeared game five, game seven, he was fine. There's something about him. It's like a combination of things, despite his size and skill set, that I just don't want him on my team. His his body language is always awful, always winds in the post game, and he threw his guy out of the bus. Then he backed it up over. It's almost like he's in between knowing what role he wants to play. You'll have him as a villain type where he's pandering to the crowd home or away, but then you'll have him sometimes making excuses after the games. You had him after the miraculous shot by Kawhi Leonard weeping, leaving the court. It's almost like he just touches his toe into all sorts of different waters instead of being able to figure out this is who I'm going to be like Trey young, for instance, has gloriously accepted this villainous esque type role with the Atlanta Hawks swag times a million and he can back it up. He's backed it up the whole postseason, which is incredible in itself. Who else is shooting? You know what he's going to do. I mean, there's no surprise that Bud clearly didn't watch not only the Utah film to see what happens when you leave your big man out to dry when the offense knows that a switch on a pick and roll is going to have him on ice skates. But I guess he didn't watch what the Hawks did to beat the Sixers because 48 points from Trey Young, it's another day at the office, no switches on defense of note. And, and not he, a big night from three, nor a big night from the foul line. It was floaters. It was drives. It was medium range. He had the shimmy and shake for the three, which was huge, uh, which, you know, I don't want to say it's not going to bring the house down because it was in Milwaukee, but brought the, the Marv and, uh, and Reggie down. Brought the internet down. That's all you need. And okay, there's the new report. Right, exploded on the internet. Um, and as I texted to Nick Wright this morning during his show, the thing that makes it unique is what if he had missed the shot? What would the media's reaction have been? You could only imagine hot shot, showboat. Especially if they lost. Instead, he's the three-point line mysteriously looking around for somebody to guard him, and everybody just basically disappeared. He gives it the little – I'm not going to give it – call it the, the Steph shimmy because it wasn't that it wasn't that big. It was the KD free-throw shimmy. It was just a little baby shimmy. And then turns it loose, and, you know, he's – He's unafraid to, of course, nothing but now. You've got to have no fear to do that. You've got to have massive confidence to do that. He had it in Oklahoma. He's got it in Atlanta. And he has a coach who turns him loose. That's the genius of Nate McMillan. Know when to be stern, know when to be firm, know when to turn him loose. Nate McMillan, as I have been spouting off about, Time after time, night after night after night after night, wherever you wherever you can hear me, for the last 
year and a half. You have heard me singing the praise of Nate McMillan. What was Indiana doing letting him go? They were crazy. They signed him to an extension, and then they let him go, and everybody who had spots available passed. I don't think the loss at home is critical. Uh, remember, the Hawks lost. They won one of their three games at home. They won three in Philly. Uh, and now have come back again and uh, taken a one nothing lead, just like they did against the Knicks, by stealing again. And they will be difficult. But I think the Bucks have uh, enough size and, you know, Middleton's not going to go 6 for 23 again. He's a really good player. So I think the Bucks will bounce back. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Did you happen to hear what Nick Wright said about comparing Giannis to playoff Shaq. Yes, I texted him this morning. I texted him this morning. Did you give him the idea? No, I texted him this morning. I said, come on, man. Come on. Okay. Shaq was a man playing with boys. You know, he, he, he and he texted me back. He goes, I, I, I know, but an interesting comparison. And I just said, come on, man. Shaq had three guys guarding him and following him. Shaq, what he did say was right. Shaq knew where he belonged. Shaq stayed in his space. Shaq, this was my area. Try and get me out of it. Good luck. Shaq was just absolute, total, and complete brute force. He was unguardable. And Shaq could have gone to the foul line 30 times a game. If they wanted to call, I, I thought Nick was out the line with the comparison of Giannis to Shaq. Uh, it, it's like night and day. Absolutely like that. Those, those couple balls passes down the stretch where Holiday got it up in the air and you know, Giannis made the catch around the rim. But those, those, are, those are monster dunks for Shaq. And they're monster dunks. Their catches come down, just go up and lay it in. With guys hanging all over. Giannis is strong, but he's Shaq had the strength of 10 men. There's no comparing the two. It's night and day. Night and day. Plus, Giannis wants to be out there shooting threes. Well, sometimes. He, des- he thinks he deserves to be out there shooting threes. Taking the ball up, through the legs. I mean, maybe Shaq was doing that once in a while with the magic, but at some point he realized, let me get down to this block and not go over six from three shooting it with confidence. There's never been anybody in NBA history who knew what he was more than Shaquille O'Neal. And he lived it and loved it. Shaq loved being the big guy. Shaq loved being the dominant. Love being super. Ate it up. That was his genre. That was his image. He he reveled in it. I'm big. I'm playing big. That's where you 
you will always know where to find it. In the painted area, as Huey Brown would say. And that's why he was one of the most dominant forces in the history of the sport. In the West, the Clippers have the Suns right where they want them. They're down 2-0. No problems. Just getting started. Again, to their credit, just when you think you have a series figured out, just a little. Chris Paul coming back. Let's remember, this was not coming off a series in which they were down to love to the the Jazz and without home court. They came back in game six down plus uh, 22, I think. In the first, at the at the end of the first half, and just blow the Suns out of the out of the building. I'm sorry, the the Jazz out of the building, right out of their building. One of those difficult buildings to play in, blew them out. But still a tough series. Suns are waiting, rested, no Chris Paul, but rested and waiting and healthy. And the Clip Joint played them two incredibly tough games. First one they maybe just ran out of gas a little bit. The second one, you know, they were done, and then they come back shockingly and take the lead and then give up, you know, the, the phenomenal inbounds pass by Jay Crowder, which never should have happened because it was not properly defended by Boogie Cousins. He, he did not cut down the angle. He played him straight up, as he jointly pointed out, uh, by superb NBA analyst, uh, not named Stephen A. Smith and not named – uh, Michael Wilbon, who specifically pointed out that Boogie and his seven feet were in there to guard the inbounds, and instead of cutting down the angle between the passer and the board, he played him straight up. I don't know if that's fearing an inbounds pass to a shooter in the corner. But the point is, he could have made the pass more difficult. For all we know, the pass still could have gone through. Would have gotten through. But he could have done more if he had played the angle to at least obstructed Jay Crowder's vision more. And he did not. And as a result, unbelievable pass, unbelievable catch and dunk. And the Suns shockingly pull off. I don't call it a miracle, but uh, find a way to hold serve at home after it looked like they had given the game away. And now the clip joint goes back in here after playing two very competitive games, and Chris Paul comes back, and lo and behold, you know, they're up 14 early in the fourth quarter, making 15 against the healthy, full complimented, fully complimented. Uh, Phoenix Suns, who everybody loves now as the next NBA champ. Because, you know, according to Stephen A. Smith, they have the next Kobe Bryant. You know, Donovan Mitchell is the greatest player in jazz history after a couple of big playoff games. And Devin Booker, after a great game one, triple-double, is the next Kobe Bryant. The Prince of Pontification is struck again. How many titles did Kobe have at 26? Oh, it was three. Right or wrong. That's right. Not That's just right. three. I, I'm not, not sure. Just, not, not just three. 
I'm not I sure where that, Booker's going to make that number up when well, he's going to be. He, he, he's going to be Benjamin Button. He's going to get younger. It's preposterous. And Magic Johnson sitting right there, listening to him say this, laughing. Get out of your chair and slap him across the face. Somebody please do it. Somebody please. Because I said to you off the air, as I said on the starting lineup, Stephen A is a blowhard. No one can call him out because, you know, they, they need to talk to him. They want him on. They don't want to offend him. All Stephen A wants to do is have you talk about what Stephen A said. Because that fills up Stephen A's bag. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. We talked about Major League Baseball last week and the commissioner deciding to put forth new ramifications, new rules, new regulations. Clean it up. To Clean get, up, Tom. Time to get Clean the sticky up, out of baseball. And now you have these pitchers, star pitchers, regular pitchers, guys coming off the mound from their first career start being accosted by these umps. Take off your hat. Let me see your glove. Let me see your belt. So you have guys who deservedly so are pissed that they're being asked to do this during the game, regardless of if they had a good inning or not. doesn't matter. They're dropping their pants on national television, throwing their gloves. It's all right. And the umps are out there like, hey, what do you want us to do? So if they got nothing to hide, it's fine. Sweat. All the spin rates are down. Sweat. I got nothing. It's sweat. So I have a couple questions. First of all, was there a class maybe on Zoom that these umpires had to take to know where to look? Or are they just doing this based on whatever they feel? You'd think there was a pamphlet that they got in the mail, like a binder's worth of step one, check the opposing pitcher's hat. And then maybe a couple pictures, like a one, two, three, four instructions on how to go about that. Was, was there a phone call made? How do they know? This isn't in their, their rule book and guidelines before the season started. How do they know where to go and what to look for? You look under the shoe, like in the tongue of the shoe and the socks. We're just going out there and hoping for the best. Because if a pitcher is going to hide something, he's obviously not going to go for the hat. He's obviously not going for the belt. And he's obviously not going for the glove anymore because those are the three places that they're looking. Not to say that guys have it like under their jersey or whatever because there's hawks now on the coaching staffs making sure that the pitchers aren't doing anything out of the ordinary so they could gain the upper hand. And two, should there be punishment if, like an instance of Joe Girardi, having the umpires go out a couple times to check on Max Scherzer because there's no limit to this. You could do it after every pitch. It's the umpire's jurisdiction to say, no, we're good. We're not going back out there to check. Or they could say every time, yeah, sure. Should there be a punishment if a manager is repeatedly saying, go check, go check, and it keeps coming back empty? Or should we just say, hey, this is it now. This is who we are. This is the sport. 
If they suspect something, if you see something, say something, Al. That's it. It's been ingrained in us in the Northeast if you take public transportation. See something, say something. You can never be too careful. And that's what teams have to do now. It's just so bizarre to watch. You want to talk about making the game go faster. Yeah, but I it, it, remember, it's action. There's something going on, at least. It's like the jester performing for the king. You know, Everybody's watching. Had, did, did, what do we always want brought back? What do we say about replay we can't stand? What is replay eliminate? It, it eliminates the histrionics. It eliminates the screaming. It eliminates the manager and the coaches and the players kicking dirt, screaming bloody murder, throwing bases, throwing bats. That's entertainment. We don't want to see umpires standing around with headphones on for three minutes, but we love to see five minutes of a manager putting on a show, turning his hat around on Earl Weaver and sticking his finger in the umpire's face. We love that. So this isn't quite that, but it's better to watch video reviews. Not that we get to see the review, but it's better than watching the umpires listen from New York to the results of the video review with a guy who comes out with a boom box. Still don't know why that's necessary. Earpiece, New York, what's up? Two guys. Safe out, boom, let's go. Safe out, boom, let's go. And then we never hear about why that conclusion was made. There's no announcement over the PA. So at, least, at least this you know, sparks some controversy, brings a little juice. Joe Girardi's challenging, choosing to fight. Stupidly, but you know, it brings some excitement, brings a little entertainment, gets a bang for your buck. Go on talking about it. Where's going? I'm talking about, geez, you see how long they took with that review? They're forever. Little method to the madness. Spin rates, by the way, way down, way down. The last couple of weeks, the scare attacks started it, and the inspections will seal it. No mas. Great pitchers will still be at least good. Very good pitchers will be pretty good. But maybe those guys who were good will be average. And maybe those guys who were never great before and suddenly are, which we're already seeing, their numbers go down drastically. You know, the cat on Milwaukee is no longer striking out 14 in five and a third. His ERA is no longer 0.57. The only guy who gets to do that is Jacob DeGrom because he only pitches five innings a game. You know, we'll, we'll call his scoreless stunt streak against Gibson's because he started the other game and he went three. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Why don't we just take the guy who runs 100 meters and multiply it times 15 and give him, give him a 1,500 meter record? Same thing, right? Yeah, okay. Okay. These guys sprint for four or five innings, six innings. Try doing it for eight or nine. Try throwing a complete game. Hey, better yet, try throwing 28 of them out of 34 starts. Try doing that. Jacob DeGrom won't have 28 complete games in his career. In his career. And we're not talking about 1912. 
And oh, by the way, 1969, after the mound was raised, Bob Gibson's ERA skyrocketed to a 2.13 with 28 more complete games out of 34 starts. That's 56 complete games in two years. I would hazard to guess that's more than there have been in the major leagues combined probably in the last three to four years. Just a guess. I know nobody likes the way this was implemented, especially me, because the commissioner is a buffoon and it should have been done at the start of the year. But everybody, but the other aspect of it is maybe this is the best way to do it. Irrespective of what the big right hander in Tampa Bay says, who claims he got hurt because of it. No disrespect to him and what he thinks. This is the most effective way to police it by surprise. And by the way, it wasn't a surprise in terms of it being against the rules. The memos went out, but the pitchers snubbed their nose. They basically said, fuck you. So the commissioner said, okay, it's the game you want to play. Blow me. Okay. We're going to start checking you. We're going to start checking you Monday. Instead of giving you the entire exhibition season to prepare, you'll get three days. Spin rates way down. And he said, the commissioner to the athletic, everything's been going great. Now, of course, let's preface that by saying the commissioner hasn't met with members of the media for a press conference since February of 2020. So he's picking and choosing who he talks to well, he's for these stories. Off. Well, if of course he is. The media He'd get eviscerated. But you're the commissioner sport, of a league. Well, he, 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 all he has to do is start speaking. And then once the questions come, it's a nightmare. Howard. He's a genius until he gets behind the microphone. That's what he is. Or in front of a microphone. Behind a microphone. There's just some of this that, I mean... We get used to stuff, obviously, but the first couple of days of this where guys are going out, coming back in and having to take their belt off. And then they do the theatric of you want to see everything. I can't believe you're drop my pen. You just are asking yourself, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> What's happened? You know, have one of the umpires be the designated TSA agent where he knows where to look and what to everybody look for. Everybody loves the TSA comparison. Put him in the dugout. Everybody loves the TSA comparison. Put him in the dugout. So after the inning, the first thing you do, he's watching you the whole way walking toward the dugout is you come down into the tunnel and he does his thing and it's not on display for everybody to see. And after that inning, he goes over to the other dugout. Easy enough. Check the pitchers in the bullpen. Have a guy out there. Because if you're going to check them in the first inning and then let them go another six, what's the difference? So you, you don't put anything on you in the first inning. Second inning comes on, you take a quick trip back to the locker room for a piss and a quick splash down of some sunscreen. Get back out there for the second. I already got strip searched coming off the inning in the bottom of the first. I love it. I think it's going to help clean up the game. I think it's going to bring offense to the game. No, no, the pitchers are like, oh, well, you know, they're still going to strike out as many times. No, they're not. They're still going to be in two thirds. No, they're not. The numbers are already going up. 
Look at some of these scores. No more 15 strikeout games. Offense is back. No big surprise. Take away the cheating. Guys can still throw 100 miles an hour, but they can't throw it with the same kind of spin rate they did before. They can't make it move as much. And the guys who can't get that same kind of grip on the ball by holding it like an egg, which you shouldn't be able to do and throw it 100 miles an hour because you can hold it like an egg because you've got, you know, Fred Bolitnikoff, stick them on your fingers. Look it up, young folks. Now, even though you're superhuman athletes and incredibly talented, you have to play under the rules without the assistance of something that doesn't just allow you to get a little better grip on the ball, something that allows you to dramatically increase your ability to manipulate the baseball. That's the problem. Enhancing the grip for a little better control and safety is fine. Allowing you to artificially manipulate the baseball is not fine. That's where you've crossed the line. Unacceptable, illegal, intolerable, and going, going, gone. No pun intended. Come out of your cave, Manfred. Come on our show. We could talk about the World Series trophy just being another piece of metal, among other things. Or maybe maybe we'll talk about the incredibly, I, I mean, my son and I looked at him tonight for the first time ever. Well, I shouldn't say ever for the first time in my lifetime, the major league all-stars will not be wearing their own team uniforms in the all-star game. They will be wearing new uniforms all the same, except that there will be a logo for each of their teams on their jerseys. But the uniforms will be identical. You will have a Yankee logo, an NY, an interlocking STO, an interlocking LA. Unfathomable. Hideous in one word. Unfathomable. Hideous. I I mean, who came up with this imbecilic idea? Did they allow Stephen A. Smith to start providing input with Major League Baseball. Is that what we sunk to? Maybe that's the reason. I'm hoping this is one of those things that Major League Baseball has done in the past, not on purpose, but they've pretended, where they'll roll out either new hats. Remember they tried to do the one this past year where they represented the cities and they had like the zip codes on the tops of the hats and different logos for the cities and they got team zip codes wrong and they got ripped online and they had to take those down or they'll put out these stupid advertising campaigns every once in a while. That'll get ripped on social media. They'll take that down. Maybe this was another thing that they're just throwing out as a feeler to see how the audience will react to it. And it got eviscerated today everywhere as it should Maybe now they'll say, think better and just say, maybe we'll go back to the way things were. I doubt it. They probably spent a ton of money on these and the advertising and the sponsors. And I'm sure they'll probably, they'll be here for at least this year, but hopefully that will be it because you know, they're awful. They're awful looking uniforms. It's bad enough. They're not their own. They're awful. The old saying, don't break. What doesn't need to be fixed? Well, nobody does that more than Major League Baseball. There's a lot about the game that needs to be fixed. And they did fix one thing or in the process of fixing it, which is good. 
regardless of whether or not you like how they did it. I happen to like how they did it because I love the, I, I love the show. I love the histrionics. I love the color it brings. I love the rhubarbs. Uh, I think it's hysterical. I think it's entertaining. And I think it's something, you know, we needed for the game to bring people out of their seats uh, versus bitching about, you know, how long replays take. Uh, speaking of which, speaking of which, uh, let's run back to the 33-minute last 30 seconds of that game, too. Uh, before we go, I want your quick thoughts on replay or not to replay uh, in these last two minutes of games. Any thoughts on what can be done to speed it up? You like it the way it is? You know, you like the the, the Scott Van Pelt? Look, they got it right, and that's all that matters, no matter how long it takes. Or you on the Van Gundy, or you vote, or you somewhere in between. Two plays in thirty-three minutes, even longer than the last two minutes of NCAA tournament games. Shockingly enough, where there's a foul every two seconds when a team is down, trading baskets, and you just want to hang yourself because the game won't end. I like replay. I don't. I agree with certain situations when for instances happen as when Pat Beverly knocks the ball out of Devin Booker's hands and anyone know, by that's the way, ever played basketball knows it's out of bounds because Patrick Beverly knocked it out of his hands. Same exact play got saved Virginia's bacon and they would not have won a world champion, excuse me, an NCAA championship that's right. without that same exact replay reversal. When, I believe against Te- I believe against Texas Texas Tech. Tech. When we're slowing down moments to milliseconds and frame by frame motions to make sure that the fingertip was the last thing touching, it's just preposterous to wa- another instance of what are we doing? What are we doing? I can understand time. And I had no idea, and I'm sure you did as well. We're always taught that it takes 0.3 seconds for a tip to happen. DeAndre Ayton, the play was so good by the Suns that he broke the time barrier and somehow was able to get a shot off in 0.2 seconds on his dunk, which I still can't get over how great it was. But one of the things that benefited that dunk was the replay having to be done. Monty Williams has time to call his team over, drop that play for an hour, it seemed, and it worked. Some of the moments when you're in the replay itself, when you're in the let's see all the angles, you just think to yourself, this just doesn't feel right. I understand the arguments of teams shouldn't get an opportunity to go over to their coach to sit down and take a seat and relax and get a play drawn up if they don't have any timeouts. You shouldn't be rewarded for the replay. Send both teams to the opposite sides of the court. They could discuss whatever they want amongst themselves, but you're not getting your coach to sit there and drop your plays. That's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen that way. Here's what you have to do. One, there's too many timeouts. Period. End of story. Three timeouts, four max per team per half. Four timeouts per half. And if you don't use them, you lose them. One challenge per half. How many times do we see these horrible calls in the first half that they want to challenge, but they're afraid to lose their challenge that early? They don't want to use it that early. Give them one in each half. What's the big deal? You have so many stoppages in the last minute. 
what's one uh, one additional challenge going to do to the, the pace of the game on a terrible call? You keep it in effect for your guy, foot on the line, not on the line, whatever the case may be. You take it down to anything under a minute versus two minutes. And during the replay, you don't get to go to the coach, other side of the court. You don't get to use it as additional timeout because obviously they wouldn't be able to draw up that play, probably wouldn't have won the game. Not that that play should have worked. Never should have worked. As Richard Dawson used to say, family feud, talk amongst yourselves. All right? That's what you can do. But you can't go to the coaches. You can't go to the coaching staff. You don't get a timeout out of it. And 30 seconds. 30 seconds on the replay. Let's go. We're here to just fix sports for you people. Folks, this is what we do. As we've said before, what you hear here is the real deal. We don't say it for you to tweet it. If you want to, feel free. But that's not why we say it. We don't say it for somebody to talk about it. Want to talk about it? Feel free. We love the fact that you listen. We love the fact that you enjoy. We love the fact that you want to talk about what we're talking about. But what we say here comes from the heart, comes from the head. It's what we think. It's what we feel. Because it's sports, we love it. We have a passion for it. And it's the real deal. It ain't no spiel. Nothing here is thrown up against the wall to see if it sticks. What you hear here is what we think here. And what we say here comes from inside the guts and inside the head. Period. End of story. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. For the big man, the great John Tiny Lund. Until next time, Al from White Plains, A.K.L. Renato. Old report, John Tiny Lund. New report, enjoy your NBA playoffs. Enjoy your NHL Stanley Cup. Stay safe. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>